So we're going to be finishing up today the Jesus Razor, and, and I'm going to kind of really kind of sum everything up, and I'm going to simplify Christianity. And this is going to be so simple, some of you are going to go, well, duh, you know. But Christianity is simplified. Here's how I look at it. Christianity is really two parts. There's the destination, and then there's the journey. And I was like, well, of course. But it seems like some Christians seem to lose that somewhere along the way. And I meet a lot of Christians. It's all about the destination. Uh, I've heard the expression, it's fire insurance. You know, I've got fire insurance against hell. Said the prayer, it's okay. But now I'm going to go live my life the way I want to, and I'll see you later, Jesus, at the destination. And they kind of live kind of like that. There are also some people who live only for the destination, like, I know my life's really bad here and everything, but it's going to be great in heaven. And they're always thinking about the destination. But there's this journey part, you know, the whole journey. And if you look at what Jesus teaches, he kind of teaches both. And it, he teaches that we're supposed to treat the destination and the journey differently because the destination is supposed to be carefully thought out. And I think that's something that kind of the church forgets today. And I, I get tired of going to services, and I've been to some of them, I know some of you have too, where people are kind of tricked into the kingdom of heaven. Ever been one of these services? Okay, with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you think maybe you know, Jesus is speaking in your heart, can you just slip up your hand? No one will see you. You know, God forbid anybody see you, declare for Jesus. And, and uh, just slip up your hand, and then they'll, you'll hear them say, I see that hand, I see that hand. Have you ever been to these services? Or maybe it's just me. I don't know if they still do these. They seem like all the time. And then after all that was done, they say, okay, now if you slipped up your hand, would you stand up? It's like, oh, come on. You know, they're, they're tricking them into the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, I came to give you life and life abundantly. I, I came to bring you uh, to my Father in heaven, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you things on earth to get the things of heaven. And you have to know that. You can't just live uh, like you want to live and just live for yourself and live selfishly. That's what pagans do, he says. If you want to be mine, you're going to have to live for heaven. And that means you have to start making some choices and some decisions. And he's clear on this. And I told you, just like I said before, Jesus had no chill. If, if you didn't like this, he'd let you walk away. He never chased after anybody. He just came to tell the truth. And you either respond to the truth or you didn't. He says this, he says, look, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone's going to see it and ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether his, he's able with his 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, will he not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace in the same way? Those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. He said, count the cost. I'm not giving you something for nothing here. I'm saying you have to learn to live for heaven and stop living for earth. You're going to stop living selfishly. You're going to start living for heaven. Now, the reward is great, but there is sacrifice involved. And if you're going to be part of this, you're going to be part of it. And if you're not, you're not. And you have to kind of make up your mind. That's kind of what the whole series has been about. Make up your mind. What are you going to do? You're going to say that you're a Christian and not live like one, or are you going to actually live like one? Right? That's what he's, he's very clear on that. But when it comes to the journey, it's different. See, the, the destination, he's actually telling you, sit down and think about this. Don't just make a, a rash emotional decision. Think about it. Think about what you want to do. But when it gets to the journey, it's different. By the time you've made that decision, and you said, no, I, I'm, I'm in, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And now it's time to follow him. It's time to follow him and do what he says and follow him where he leads. And there's no time now to be thinking. You know, the, 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 the thinking and talking part's over. When I was a sales engineer, um, I worked with this one guy. He used to be a bouncer. He was from Philly. 
uh, and it was really <laughs> big guy, you know. And it, we're we're a tech company. It was really weird to see this guy who could have played linebacker walking through the door, you know. But uh, he was a he was a really funny guy. Really, can she made everybody's friends real easily, you know. Uh, and uh, he had a Philadelphia accent and a kind of deep, deep voice. And the funny thing is, uh, the, the sales engineer's job is to answer all technical questions. And that was what we did. And then at uh, some point, there turns into this business meeting. And that's when the sales guy earns his money. He's sitting down, he's talking how much things are going to cost. And a lot of times when you get down to the cost part, people kind of want to talk about other things. So they don't want to talk about the cost. And that's a true thing with Christianity, too. You get to the cost, cost no one wants to talk about the cost. And so, you know, we get there, and they would kind of, they would t- kind of turn to Ben, uh, Benny, and say, hey, Benny, and it's like start talking to him, like, you know, try to lighten things up and talk again about technology. And Benny would just sit there and go, hey, the talking part's over. <laughs> it's like, I loved him. He used to be a bouncer. That's where he got that. You know, he, he would say that's what, how he would take people out of the bar. You know, he'd be real friendly until he took them out because they go, the talking part's over. And he'd just take them out. It's like there was Jesus is saying, when you get to the journey part, the talking part's over. You know, we're, you should have made that decision. The decision of whether you will or you won't was whether you will or will not follow me. Once you're following me, it's time to go. It's time to go where I send you. It's time to obey me. It's time to do what I told you to do. The talking part's over. And that's what he says. We see these verses, you know, like, Walk by faith, not by sight. And that means that even if you can't see the sense in it, if God told you to do it, you just do it. Because you don't need to understand the sense in it. All you need to understand is, is this what God wants me to do or not? It really simplifies things. Uh, if, as, long as, I, as long as I know God's saying, then we're going to go, we're going to go and we're going to do it. In Isaiah 48, he says this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit and who leads you in the way you should go. What are you worrying about how this is going to work out for you? This is my job. My job is to teach you to profit. My job is to lead you where I need you to go. Your job is to say, yes, Lord. The words no and Lord should never exist in the same sentence, although Peter does it several times in the New Testament. God love him, because sometimes I do it too, but we're not supposed to. Lord means yes. Yes, Lord, you know, is now good. It, it, that's how we're supposed to be responding, and we're not supposed to be looking back and like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I thought I went, but now I have to kind of reconsider some things. In fact, Jesus says this. Someone comes up to him, you know, and he says, look, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I, I really am. But let me go home first and say goodbye to those at home. That sounds reasonable. I'm going to follow you. I need to go back and tell everybody goodbye first and maybe have a little going away party and, you know, make sure I still want to follow you. I, I'm just going to be right back. I'm just going to go home. And Jesus is, you know, again, like I said, he has no chill about this stuff. Jesus says, no, no one who looks back after putting his hand on the plow is fit for the kingdom of heaven. You're going to do the work or not? You put your hand to the plow to work, and now you're going to look back like Lot's wife looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, no, if you put the hand to the plow, you're not fit for the work before you. In fact, some translations say you're not fit for what's before you. Stuff for, 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 you're, not for fit. you're not fit. If you're looking back, you're not fit for what's coming before you. So this is Jesus talking, right? So his, when we get to the journey part, the thinking part's over. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord. Did God speak or not? If God spoke, then we have to do it. We follow even when we don't understand is what I'm telling you. You don't have to understand anymore. That's the beauty of following Jesus. If he said to do it, you simply will do it. Now, David knew something about that. You know, he kind of lived his whole life that way, and he needed to because everybody's trying to kill him like most of his life. But probably the most successful king ever, and certainly the most successful king of Israel. And so he wrote this in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I've talked about this before, but when I was a kid, I went to this place called Seneca Hills Bible uh, Camp. It's up north of Butler. 
And uh, it, because it's, you know, Butler, it's basically built on hills. And we had one side of the camp was the girl's side, and the other side was the boy's side. It was a fun time at camp. But we had these, like, kind of, you know, these, these trails that goes down because the cabins didn't have bathrooms. You had one bathroom. It was down at the bottom of your hill. And uh, they had, like, you know, they had little walkways, and they had lights on every one of the fence posts, about half of which are burned out by the time the camp gets about halfway through. And so by the time we were there, uh, you really kind of had to pay attention. Now, of course, we were told to bring flashlights, <coughs> but we usually burned up our batteries, you know, doing ghost stories and stuff for the first two nights. We're there for a week. So by the end of the week, you know, you're going out to find this place in the middle of the night, you have to go to the bathroom, and all you have is a lamppost that are on those, those, those uh, fence, fence posts with a light at the bottom. It didn't cast light very far. You know, you kind of walk to there, and you would look, because you don't make a wrong step at night, and, you know, it's hard when you have to go to the bathroom anyway, but you'd follow those, and you didn't get a chance to see very far ahead, but you'd follow those lights all the way down. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He said, picture this. God's light is a light to you, but only about that far out. Do you know why? Because that's exactly how far you have to walk. That's the thing, and this is the whole thing. If we need to learn and be comfortable that I need to walk as far as I can see. And God said to do it, so you walk that far. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. I just know God told me to get here. And the next light will come to take me to the next place. And we have to get very, very, very comfortable with that. But we have to have the resolve to stick with it. David talks about this at the end. He said, I have your word as my heritage forever. The word, which is the same thing he's talking about as the lamp. They're a joy of my heart, and I am resolved to follow them to the very end. David didn't exactly know how everything was going to turn out in his life. He was anointed king when he was about 13 years old. He, he seemed to be on the fast track when he killed Goliath and was a hero of the entire nation. And then the king's trying to kill him for about the next eight, nine years. So he's like, I don't know what's going on. I just know that I was anointed to be your king, and I'll just follow you. I'm going to just simply say what I have, what's my joy, what's my heritage, is your word. I'm going to continue to follow your word. So I need to follow. I need to follow as far as I can. Well, how? You know, what keeps us from falling? You know, that sounds simple. And by the way, uh, simple and easy, not the same thing. It is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And so what does that mean? How do we follow? Or better question is, what's keeping us from falling? Because I don't know about you, but if I had to rate my whole life, you know, on a little scale, about when I was following God and when I wasn't following God, my, my scale would kind of look like this, right? What keeps us from falling? We know we're supposed to. What keeps us from falling? Well, I'm actually going to give you, and I don't normally do this, I'm going to give you a three-point sermon today. I'm going to give you three things that are keeping you from falling. The first thing is we just don't recognize his voice. If we don't know that's God, how are we going to follow it? And Jesus talks about this. He's talking, he's comparing himself to a shepherd. He says, look, he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. That's the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, when he's brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize his voice. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about the building of the walls of Jericho. There's this thing called the sheep gate. And in the sheep gate, there's a fountain. And what would happen was the, the shepherd would go there, and he'd give the sheep one last drink before they headed out into the fields. Except a lot of shepherds came. With a lot of sheep, it gets to be chaos, bleeding and, you know, bang and whatever else sheep do. <laughs> I don't know. But they're doing all that. It's a good, very noisy kind of chaos, right? And, and so what happens is, is all that noise is there, and they're, they're all drinking, and then all of a sudden the shepherd will whistle his whistle, and he'll call his sheep, 
and all of his sheep's heads will come up because the shepherd's moving forward. And he starts walking, and he's calling, and they all get in line and follow him out. How? They know his voice. And they also have learned to trust him because for their whole life, he's taken care of them. He's taken to the pastures. He's taken to the water. They have to follow him because the train's leaving. If somebody else calls their sheep, they won't respond to it because that's not their call. And I've never seen this. But, it, but if you have a situation where somebody doesn't know the voice, it gets to be very confusing. We have this German shepherd in our house, uh, and he knows both Victoria and he knows me. He knows both of our voice. If we're both in the same room and we both call him at the same time, there's a stress moment as he's trying to figure out which one I'm going to go to, right? And a lot of times I think the problem is that we have this stress moment in our lives because God's calling to us, but so is the world. And we know both of their voices pretty well. And so we have to learn how to recognize God's voice. Now, how do we learn to recognize God's voice? Gee, it'd be nice if something in the Bible told us how to do that. Oh, wait, it does. Here in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What he's saying is you will learn how to hear my voice by listening to my word. Now, that's, that's, that's the word as in the words written down in your Bible it's also the word that, that he will speak to you. But if you don't know the first one, you'll never hear the second one. You'll never recognize it when you hear it. When, when, when you hear God's voice enough, you start recognizing it. You know, if somebody called me up and tried to leave a message as my wife, good luck. You know, because I know her voice. Even if they called up and faked a Russian accent, it wouldn't do any good. I still know her voice. If somebody called up and says, uh, this is Victoria, you know, is please send $10,000 to this account <laughs> or something. It wouldn't work, right? I'm not stupid. I know my wife's voice. Heard it so many times, many, many times. Sometimes I don't want to necessarily hear it, but I hear it. I hear it. I know it. I know it very, very well. No one could fool me with that, right? Some of you only met a couple times, though. A little bit easier to be fooled. You haven't heard him for a while. Sometimes I think Christians are trying to hear God's voice, but they haven't spent any time in his word. Well, how are you going to recognize it? Because there's a character of God's voice that comes out in his word. It comes out in his written word, and it comes out in his spoken word. And if you don't know the one, you'll never learn the other. We have to spend time in his word if we're going to know. Because there's some things God would never tell you to do. I was actually uh, talking to somebody once who was telling me they thought God was telling them uh, to have an affair. I said, no, that's not God's voice. <laughs> that would never be God's voice. He loves marriage. He hates divorce. Why would he do that? God's voice would never tell you to do that. That can't be God's voice. When uh, Stas went off, I'll get this right this time, the basic training, uh, or Afghanistan, Afghanistan, uh, Victoria's walking along praying about it. He says, you know, it's my only son. If anything happens to him, I'm done. I have no one else. And, and so I need you to take care of him. And God spoke to her soul and said, it's okay. He's going to be all right. And that gave her the peace to relax while he was in Afghanistan. And some weird stuff happened when he was in Afghanistan, too, by the way. He was at that prison. You remember when they burned the Qurans? And it was a big thing. And, and, the, and I don't know if you remember that. We remember it because he was at that prison uh, for a week. They, they had to have water rations because they were afraid that people were going to poison it. And they had to ship it in, in trucks for their water. And so we were you know, going through all that. But Victoria was okay because she'd heard God's voice say, he's going to be all right. But one day she's walking along and another voice spoke to her. So he's not going to be all right. He's going to be maimed. Killed? Killed. Okay. She always gets mad at me when I get the story wrong. And she came home and she says, I heard, what, what is that? I said, that's not God. 
said, well, how do you know it's not God? I said, because it's causing confusion in your life right now. She's right. I said, so God's not a God of confusion. The Bible tells you that. Second Corinthians. God is not a God of confusion. God will not convince you. The other thing is, pro- prophetic word comes to you to lift you up and edify you. How is this doing either one of those two things? The Bible tells us that too. The Holy Spirit comes to lift you up and to edify. That's what the prophetic word's for. Lift you up and edify. How will this help you? It's not like you can prepare for it. Right? There's no edification here. It's not lifting you up. This can't be God's voice because it doesn't match his character. But if you don't know the word, you're out there trying to figure it out. You have to know the word of God to recognize his voice. Okay, number two, we spend much, much, much too much time listening to the world's voice. This is why we're so confused because we start hearing things in the world. I can't tell you how many times people tell me things are in the Bible that aren't. It's amazing. Well, the Bible says, you know, this. No, no, the Bible doesn't. My dad... um, used to always, he had an imaginary book he made up, the second, second book of Hezekiah. And whenever anybody would say anything, he goes, oh yeah, this is second Hezekiah. Yeah. And people go, yeah, okay, that's probably right. I was like, okay, well, he knows who he's talking to now, right? Because there's no such thing as the second book of Hezekiah. But uh, there's so many people quoting the second book of Hezekiah to me. It's amazing, you know. Uh, ben Franklin gets quoted all the time as though he's in the Bible. He's not. He's, he, he was not one of the apostles. He's old, but he wasn't that old. And, and so a lot of times people hear the world's voice and they say, well, this is, you know, follow your heart. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's just, that's not in the Bible. There's a lot of things that people say, and they'll quote to you as though, as though God spoke to them. That's the world speaking to you. Okay? The God didn't say that. And you're confusing the world's voice with God's voice because you haven't spent enough time in God's voice. You're spending a lot more, too much time, you know, listening to the world's voice. Think about your schedule in an a- average day. Think about, we are just bombarded by things, aren't we? I mean, we, we have them with us all the time. We just have moments of silence we don't even have them anymore. Yeah, I'm going to get a little too real with some of you today. But um, I used to have this moment of silence in the bathroom. But I don't anymore because I have my phone. So I always have my phone with me. And so I never have a moment of silence anymore. I'm always, you know, if I have downtime, I'm in on the bathroom. You know, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm reading stuff. I'm watching YouTube videos. I don't have this moment of, 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 of silence anymore. I used to. He's always moments of silence in my life. Uh, when I take a shower now, uh, how, uh, maybe none of you do this, but how many of you are sitting there waiting for the shower to get, and you're sitting there trying to get a playlist to play while you're in the shower? Maybe it's only me, but I'm actually on the phone. Victoria, here, the water running. You're, wor- you're wasting hot water. Don't have my playlist yet. I can't take a shower. You know? It's just we're always bombarding ourselves, and then what do we do? We, get, we pop in the little headset so no one can hear us. That's, that's something I do that drives Victoria nuts. If I'm working or something, I pop in a headset. I never have a moment of silence anymore. There's a reason the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. One of the things that's been great about, uh, since I got my dog, I take these walks, you know, in Round Hill Park is I don't, uh, deliberately don't take anything to listen to while we're there. I just walk through God's nature and say, what do you want to tell me, Lord? But we have to shut down the world's voice if we're going to start hearing God's voice. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, it says, look, don't be connected with unbelievers. This, you may have heard this scripture if some of you took premarital counseling, because the old word there is yoked. Do not be yoked with unbelievers, right? Some of you have heard that verse. Oftentimes used as a marital counseling verse, but this is actually not spoken to husbands and wives here. He's talking to Christians. He says, why are you connected with unbelievers? What partnership does righteousness and lawlessness have? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with, and that's the word for Satan. What is, what, is, what is the harmony Christ has with Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. It's amazing what Christians have done with the temple of the living God. 
in, in terms of communing with the world. And he, he goes on, he says, look, just as God said, I will dwell on them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst, be separate. You know, that's what the word, what the word sanctified means, separated, set apart. He says, you're supposed to be set apart, says the Lord. Do not touch what's unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You should be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. But he says, here's how you become my children. Come out of the world. The world's making you unclean and dirty. I need you to come out of them. And a lot of us want to kind of hang in there. I kind of like the world. Can't you just meet me here? A lot of times the problem with Christians is we're trying to have God join our walk. And God say, no, no, no. You're going to join my walk. I'm not coming to join your life. You're coming to join my life. You want to join God's life. It lasts forever. It's, it's the history of, of, of eternity. We're only here for a moment. So he's, he wants us to join his life in eternity. He doesn't want to join our life so we have his little good life and die. He wants us to join his life. Finally, we want to see the full path before we take a step. That's interesting, God, what you told me to do. I'm just trying to think, uh, you know, what's going to happen if I do that? I'm trying to think of how this helps me with my problem. I'm praying about a problem, Lord, and you gave me this to do, and I'm looking at what you told me, but I'm actually looking at it and saying, I don't know what that gets me. It doesn't seem like, it seems like I, I, I'm just trying to focus on here, and you keep telling me to do this stupid thing over here. It doesn't matter. So I don't think I'm going to do it because that must not be from God because it just doesn't make sense to me. I've thought it all out. It doesn't make sense. I don't know if any of you were here when Rabbi Kip spoke on Sunday. Some of you came Saturday. I apologize. He didn't share this story, but it's a really cool story he told on Sunday. He was uh, in California, and he had a little tiny uh, Messianic Jewish temple there, and uh, he was driving along because he had a paper route because he, like a lot of us, are bivocational pastors, and I don't know if you've ever those motor routes. You can actually make some pretty good money if you're willing to get up every morning at 4 o'clock for seven days a week for the rest of your life, and so he had one of these motor paper routes, and uh, he was driving along, and he felt God speak to him. Like, out of the clear blue, God spoke to him and said, I want you to move, and he told him where, in Minnesota. And he thought, well, that can't be from God. <laughs> God would not ask me to move to Minnesota. It's snow there. There's, like, cold there. I'm in California. I'm a California guy. I've been in California my whole life. Why would God want me? That must, I did not hear God speak, because God would never say that. He would never tell me to go to Minnesota. So he says, uh, I'm not going. You know, that's not, I reject that. I'm not, I'm not doing it. He actually said it out loud. I reject that. That can't be God, right? Why, why was he saying that? Because he didn't want to go to Minnesota because it's cold there. I don't blame him. I don't go to Minnesota either. It's cold there. You guys remember, I don't know, when Ronald Reagan was reelected, he won 49 states. The only state he lost was Minnesota because that's where Mondale was from. And someone asked him, what do you think about losing Minnesota? He says, I've, already, I've always considered them part of Canada anyway, you know? That's kind of how I feel. Why would God send me to Canada, Minnesota? I get it. I get why he doesn't want to go there. Uh, but so he, said, he actually said, I reject that. Actually, I think he said, I reject that in the name of Jesus, which is hard to do when Jesus is the one speaking. He said, I reject that. And just then his car broke down. Like instantly, the car broke down. He's in the middle of nowhere. He pulls off the side of the road. He's staring at us. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, he's a rabbi. He doesn't think about cars. And God spoke to him again and said, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, and you don't go where I send you, you will be like this car, broken down, unable to go anywhere. He says, okay, Lord, I'll go to Minnesota. And just then, this little light shows in the back. This car comes up. Two guys get out. Hey, having a problem there? They get out, I'll pop up the hood, do something. Car starts back up, and he takes off. Right? He says, as far as I'm concerned, there are two angels driving some little car, fixing other cars. Because that's what he wants us to do, right? But oh, I don't like that. 
I've looked at it, Lord, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. But Hebrews tells us faith, we've talked about this before, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's like the definition of faith, is that we step out on faith and do things and we hope for things because God told us to, but we, we accept that there are things we're not seeing that are involved here. And then in 2 Corinthians, he, we, we had this verse last week, we fix our eyes not what is, on, what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is forever. Several years ago, I was at a business meeting in Las Vegas. Yes, honestly, I was there for business. Uh, but there was a, I was staying in a hotel, and there was this one guy, people were fighting to get tickets to, to see, and I'd never even heard of him before. I said, oh, you got to see him. This guy's great. And he was staying at, uh, he was performing in the casino or the, the hotel I was staying at. So I was able to stand in line for will call tickets. And I got a really great ticket. It was just me. And I went, his guy's name is Danny Gans. And uh, it was a great show. He's a, he was an impressionist singer, but he was also a Christian. Uh, who knew? I'm sitting in the middle of Vegas. Uh, and he closed his show with a song. I'll never forget. And this is the lyric from it. He's talking about how his dad taught him to listen to what he said, right? And then his dad passed away and he needed some guidance, and then this verse comes up. But uh, now I talk to my father in heaven, because my daddy taught me this much. It's not about how much light you can carry. It's finding a voice you can trust. That's the Christian life. You will not get enough light to see everything you need to see to do everything you need to do. That's why you have to trust the voice. You have to learn how to trust the voice. And if I were to sum up the entire Christian life, you know, the, the TLDR version of uh, this sermon is this. Just do, do what you can and walk as far as you see. Because God doesn't give you all the plans at once. He gives you piece by piece because his plans will probably scare you. But here's the good news. Sometimes Christians don't move forward because they're afraid if they make a mistake, you know, God's plan will be foiled and everything will be ruined. Uh, if I witness that person, I blow it. They're going to go to hell. I don't want that kind of thing in my conscience. God's plan is not going to be disrupted by your misstep. It's okay. He's bigger than you are. He's bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than your faults. He knew who you were when he called you. It's okay. You're going to make mistakes. It's all right. It's part of walking. If you ever see little kids start to walk, they walk around and tumble an awful lot before they finally get it. We have to get to the point where we can do that. If it's any consolation to you, Apostle Paul made mistakes too. Apostle Paul sometimes thought he had God's leading and was doing something, and then the Holy Spirit had to correct him. But it never disciplined him for it. Because the Holy Spirit's cool like that. It's all right. In fact, we see this in Acts uh, 16. This happens twice in the Acts. Uh, he's trying to go someplace. He's going to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him. And he's going to go in the city to go witness, and Jesus says, no, you're not. Keep moving. Down the road. Nope, not there. Why? He's sending somebody else there. Paul, I need you over here in Macedonia. So that's, that happens, right? You're, you're, you're taking a walk, and you think you got God's leading, and you do, but that you don't have it all. You, you got something wrong. It's okay. God will just correct you, move you along. He's greater than, than your mistakes. He's greater than your lack of faith. It's okay. And so since this whole thing has kind of been about the story leading up to Spirit Chapel, I want to close with this story. And there are so many stories I could tell you about times I got it wrong. I had to think about which one I was going to pick. You know, it's like amazing. Um, the fact that you are sitting at Spirit Chapel today is nothing but the grace of God. Because <laughs> I've, made enough, I've made, made enough mistakes to sink this place. I really have. But uh, before we got started, so picking up from our story last week, we talked about last-ditch effort to save the church we were in. And we thought, okay, that's not going to work. And so uh, we knew we were leaving the church. 
but we didn't know exactly where we are going yet. And so we made the decision that we didn't want to continue to tithe to the church we were leaving, but we didn't want to stop tithing. Right? And I'm going to take a little step aside for because i got to talk to some people who have done this. So if, if you've been tithing and then you stop tithing, uh, the devil will get in your head and say, well, pff, now you've got so much money, you can't start giving now. You know, look at all the money you owe God uh, because you didn't tithe for all that time. Right? That's the devil. That's not God. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. Tithing's about the heart, right? So what you do if you ever stop tithing, instead of getting caught up in what the devil's trying to tell you, well, when you get it all, then you can start giving again. Just do this. Repent to the Lord. Say, I'm sorry, God. I kind of acted like Abraham when he ran off to Egypt. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And then just start again. All he cares about is your heart. He just needs your heart. But anyway, so we were, we were making a decision to leave the church, but we wanted to make sure that we took the tithe where we're going to go, wherever that was. We didn't exactly know yet. So we opened up an account, and we started putting money into it. And then it became apparent to Victoria first, me screaming later, that we're going to start a church, right? I thought, well, I guess that's what God's doing with that little nest egg. And so we filed the paperwork to become a corporation, uh, Nonprofit uh, Spirit Chapel Inc., a nonprofit corporation recognized by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the federal government. I have attorneys in the audience that probably like to know that. So we filed all the paperwork, and, and we, are, uh, you know, we are legit there. And as soon as we did that, we had a couple other people from the church who also were going to leave join us, and we started putting the money in this account. And we didn't have very much, uh, but we had enough to think, okay, I think we can start a church. You know, we can we going to have to t- try to do this. So... Um, Here's the problem, and the problem is about 90% of churches fail in the first two years. Now, those odds are much better if you're planted by a denomination, of course, because you've got this big you know, organization behind you. Or if you have a big organization, there are church planning organizations. Your, your chances are much better in that case. But we were neither of those things. We <laughs> were just poor little stupid people starting a church. We didn't have enough money to start a church. We didn't have enough people to start a church. And we didn't have any denomination behind us. And so our success rate was about 10%, right? And I'm okay with that, though, because you know, I talked about how I put everything in the middle with God, and, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to follow the Lord. If, if we're going to you know, start a church and it's going to fail, I'm okay with that. If that's what you want me to do, Lord, that's what we'll do. So uh, we found this place. We sat, I sat down with Dan, who's been nothing but supportive of the whole idea from the very get-go, from the day I met him. And we're sitting down to sign the paperwork, right? And I look at the paperwork. I says, well, there's a little bit of a problem here. <clears throat> it's written out to me personally, not to Spirit Chapel Corp., and he says, yeah, your church has been in business for one month. There's no way I can sign a, f- a five-year lease for that. Uh, you're going to have to sign for this personally. Said, okay, uh, I'm going to take this paperwork and discuss this with my wife. And he says, okay. Uh, because it was a five-year lease, and the, the amount of money that we were paying per month was a little more than my mortgage. <laughs> And I was being asked to commit personally to that. Now, in my family, we'd actually been going through this thing called debt reduction and trying to get back on track on some things. And, and uh, my wife, my CFO, had us on this austerity program <laughs> where we were trying to save money to pay down our debt. And it was working, you know, we were getting, getting paid down. I'm thinking, this is like going exactly the opposite direction. And I felt it was God wanting us to get out of debt because that's a huge burden, right? And so I think God calls to get rid of debt. Why am I going to take on all this debt for five more years? And if this church fails in two, I'm still stuck with it for three years. What are we going to do with it? You know, I don't need a place to store my guitar gear for three years. What do I need it for? And so I'm like, I don't know. I don't see in Victoria interestingly because she's the one who's really tight in the family you know when it comes to money and she's like sign it 
what do you mean just sign it? I said, well, God will take care of us. I said, but what if he doesn't? You know, what if this is, we're supposed to fail kind of a thing? I've done that before. And she goes, well, God will still take care of us. I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like God at all, right? So everything I told you don't do for the past like 20 minutes, I'm now doing. You know, that's exactly what I was doing. I thought, well, I kind of need to see this. I need to pray about it and have God confirm this. And so I'm praying about it, and I had one business meeting come up from my, from my uh, professional career that I was going to go do. It was, it was actually a trade show. And I thought, God, show me something here that lets me know that you want me to do this. And what I had in mind was he was going to bless us in this show, and we're going to make so much money that I'm like, oh, I'm good. You know, that's what I thought. Instead, the show was a disaster. It was like one of the worst trade shows I've ever done. And I'm packing up, getting ready to leave. And as I'm packing up, getting ready to leave, the, my phone rings, and it's my old company that I used to work for. They asked me what I'm doing. And at the time, I was packing up and going home discouraged. And they said, hey, I just come back to work for us as a consultant. Uh, we've been shopping your resume around. Uh, we've got a couple high-level uh, places that would really like to some, somebody. And, and your experience is exactly what we need right now. Uh, we'll pay you if you come back as a consultant. I said, how much? And it turns out it was an awful lot of money. <laughs> in fact, it was more money than I ever made in my life. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Um, and here it was, the last day, the day I was hoping for, my phone rings with this offer. I'm thinking, well, that has to be God, right? Has to be God. And I'll, I, I got home and I told Victoria, I said, wait a minute, I, I, think, how, I think I now see how God's going to provide a way. And she said, great, how's that? And I said, I'm going to take this job, I'm going to make all this money, and my tithe check will cover the rent and the utilities, just my tithe check. I can now see the way that Spirit Chapel can happen. And she looks at me and says, well, this isn't from God. I said, no, how would you know that? I just told you that it's from God. Why would you say that? He says, well, this can't be from God. How are you going to be a pastor? Because this job requires four days, to travel, uh, four days on the road and one day of travel. You're gone five days a week if everything works right. You know, things happen with planes, and sometimes you don't make it. How are you going to do that? I said, well, you know, it's okay. I'll prepare my sermons and give them on. He said, but what about the rest of the stuff? What about uh, hospital visits? What about funerals? What about weddings? What about, you know, I said, well, we'll hire somebody else to do that stuff. You know, look, God's providing a way for the money. She goes, this isn't from God. I said, well, you know, it'd be nice if you would like, you know, take a moment. She says, I don't have to, but you go ahead and pray about it. You pray about it and you tell me what God says. I said, okay, smarty, I'll do that. You know, I was planning on praying about it anyway. That's why I didn't accept it on the phone. I start praying about it, and you know what I came up with? Absolutely nothing. And I want to tell you, I was really praying. I wasn't giving one of those Homer Simpson prayers. In gratitude, I present you this offering of cookies and milk. If you want me to eat them for you, give me no sign. That will be done. I wasn't doing that. I was honestly seeking God's will on this. I was honestly asking him, what do you want me to do? And I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. So I told Victoria, well, I don't have any leading one or the other, and this seems right to me. So I'm going to do it. So I told him, yep, I'll do it. And they sent me the paperwork, and Victoria says, well, this is never going to happen. This isn't going to happen. I said, well, you just be quiet and watch it happen, right? And ba but, but because I was convinced that God was going to provide, I said, I will go down and sign the lease on that building. And so I went down, I signed on the dotted line, because I was cool. I, a couple days later, I got a computer sent to me from the company, a laptop that I was supposed to use to log in and, and put all my time in. I said, look, 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 computer, W-9 form signed. It's happening, baby. This is happening. She says, it's not going to happen. This isn't from God. I said, yeah, it's like evidence right here. It's happening. But that's okay, because look, we signed the paperwork. You know, Spirit Chapel's moving forward. Everything's fine. And you know what happened? I never heard from them again. This went away. I called them up a couple months later. I said, hey, I got this computer. I'm supposed to be entering in hours and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that went to you by mistake. 
Uh, there's another mark, actually, I should have gone to. But that's okay, keep that. We still intend to hire you. We just don't have the job yet. I said, okay. I still have the computer. I've never heard from him. It just went away. And Victoria said, see, told you, one from God. And I thought, well, now I kind of was suckered, you know, <laughs> because I signed that paperwork thinking I had this great salary coming, and that salary's not coming. You know what happened? I honestly believe this. I don't know if I had the faith to sign. I don't, I don't know. I don't know I had the faith to sign the dotted line, put my family at risk for five years, knowing that we had very little chance of surviving. You know, we're in year six now. Everybody can breathe easy. Survival rates must much better. But um, I didn't know. And I don't know if I had the faith. So I think God let me believe what I wanted to believe. And uh, then he took it away because it wasn't his will. Because as it turns out, Victoria's right. The pastor has to be here. <laughs> you know, we've had hospital visits. We've had funerals. We've had weddings. And, and that's okay, right? Because I was honestly seeking his will. I really was. I was trying to see what he wanted me to do. I was trying to follow, and I did what he wanted me to do. Even if I did it in a roundabout way, he's okay with that. God is bigger than your mistakes. And as far as being taken care of, there's this great psalm. Um, it goes like this. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed up begging for bread. It's okay. If you commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, he bring it to pass. So I want to sum all this up with what I've now decided faith really is. You know, when, when it's all said and done, you, you, you seek God's will, you listen for his voice, you read his word, you spend time in prayer, and then you walk as far as you can see. And then later, when people said, how did you have the faith to step out and do that? This is my definition of faith. Faith is aiming at a target no one else can see and hitting it. And sometimes that target is one you can't see either. We've got to get comfortable with this idea that we're walking in the darkness of the world and God is illuminating enough of it to know where we need to go. No more. Because honestly, God's actual plan would scare you. So he's just trying to bring you as far as you can see so you can do what you can do. In the end, we end up in the destination that we all want to be. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you.